was also my co-founder left the company. You know, I slid over as the CEO, and you go, okay, full stop. What, what's happening here? And the thing that we just started thinking was, what if all that advice was wrong? Hey everybody, I'm Blake from Allsmith, and you're watching After the Exit. It's the show where I interview CEOs after they've sold their startup and have them share the lessons that they've learned in blood about business, about relationships, and life. And look, you can learn a couple tips from how they built it, but the real wisdom, the moral of the story, comes at the end, after the exit. This episode's brought to you by Visible.vc. Raise capital, update investors, and engage your team from a single platform. It's also brought to you by Boilerplate.legal. Did you know that the average startup spends $30,000 in their first two years on legal costs? You can save 90% of those costs on venture capital approved legal documents using Boilerplate.legal. Today I'm excited to introduce you to my friend Bob Gilbreth, former CEO of Ahology. Before Ahology, he and some friends founded and sold a digital agency named Bridge Worldwide in 2004. He then spent a year at a local venture capital firm, CincyTech. He was initially an investor and board member of Ahology, which was founded by Michael Wolschlager, and then joined as a co-founder after a pivot. They raised a million dollars in 2013, $3 million Series A in 2014, and a few more rounds in 14 and 15. Around then, the business hit a wall. His co-founder left, and they went from 55 to 30 employees. By pivoting to focus on influencer marketing, they got profitable, were named leader in Forrester Tech Report, and started doubling revenue from 2016 to 2018. After hitting $10 million in revenue run rate, they were acquired by Quotient Technology for $50 million. So welcome. I'm really happy to have you. This Thanks is really for exciting. having me. Do you remember when we met? No idea. <laughs> we met uh, when you were at Cincy Tech. Um, okay. We met, and it was with us with Cladwell. Yeah, we came yeah. in, and you were running some process. So now, it was a research yeah. process. You were with the Cladwell team back then. We did this um, research product that I created, which was maybe my first startup technically. Yeah, what was that called? The Minimum Viable Concept. Yes, MVC. MVC. Yes. Yeah, what was so, the general idea with the MVC? Is... Well, it was really like, I think it first came from working at Cincy Tech and seeing a startup that came through that they had invested 200 grand in. They took two months, two, three months to build uh, an integration. It was kind of a video game uh, resale market. And they, they said, well, if we could just get on this one video game, or sorry, uh, you know, game website with this market, we could test the product. Hmm. And spent that, all that money you know, to get the partnership, to build the MVP, and within weeks, you know, just saw nobody wanted to buy and sell games. $200,000 place in just toilet gone. flesh. Right. Yes, right. And so I'm sitting here saying, you know what? When I was working on new products down the street at Procter & Gamble, and we didn't spend $2,000. You know, yeah. we would actually start with, let's, the, what, what's the, let's just write up the idea and put it in front of some consumers and yeah. see, ask them if they would buy this or not. <laughs> and we had some research, you know, methodology of how to ask them the right questions and to compare them to a database. Yeah, you're fine. Said, hey, yeah. oh hi. <laughs> we got coffee. Uh, oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! What do we got? Pumpkin. Oh wow! Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> I put it on the camera, That's but I didn't spill it. Yeah, you spill it. Yeah. Come on. Um, um, just FYI, I think we'll be fine. There's 66 minutes of okay. space left. Oh, we're good. Okay, cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, yeah. You, yes. So, um, I was like, well, let me just see if we could create a version of the type of research we did before mm -hmm. for, you know, 
products at Proctor for startups and hopefully let the team and since he's technically an investor learn a lot cheaper and quicker. And you know, at the time there was a lot of awareness around the lean startup movement yeah. and minimum viable product was gaining hold, but the minimum viable concept is something you could learn from before you even write a line of code. Totally. So that was kind of the, the idea there. I think you guys okay. did well. I mean, as I've still got the report somewhere yeah, if you want it. <laughs> yeah, I think we might, maybe we want to game but, the system uh, or something. But yeah, it's a point. Yeah, actually, I've not heard of any VCs doing that since they're like well, doing no, no testing like that. Well, yeah. and again, it was a great, for me, it was another, you know, way to learn without investing. I think I total put in $10,000 of, I mean, not only kind of test, did a lot of stuff by hand, worked with a outside research company to do it pretty easily. Yeah. Uh, paid a small agency to create a self-serve version of it. Hmm. And I learned very cheaply and easily. No one wanted to buy that. <laughs> hmm. And the first thing is, you know, interesting for investors, they had never really paid to do any research on startups before. So there's new budget item. Right, you're not replacing some expense. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. the way they would do research, and I think a lot still do, is let me just make my opinion. Or right. let me ask my wife what she thinks. Or let yes. me ask my son or daughter what they think. And that's good enough. Yeah, um, selling to VCs is hard too. You know, you're, you're yeah. competing with the back deck or whatever. You know, it's got the budget has to come from somewhere. Right. And so, yeah. yeah. Travel budget, you know, they've exactly. got limited funds. and yeah. Um, yeah, but you guys, you know, kind of did what... And another thing is in terms of providing that research for startups... Some of them would just look at it as, oh, I just need to pass a test. Yes. And oh, well, right. I got validation. Yes. Versus really trying to learn and yes. understand. I remember the conclusion from it. It was that we had a believability problem. And it was well, that. Is it going to pick out good clothes for me? Is um, that the kind it was, of, was that the. Yeah, it was this question of like, I love the idea, but will it work? Yeah. And so I remember yeah. you said that the, the PNG solution to that was transparent packaging or, or allowing people to touch the, okay. the thing yeah. on the outside. Yeah. And so I think that actually influenced how we did a free trial. Uh -huh. And uh, we essentially opened up the doors rather than keeping it behind the paywall. Okay, okay. And so I think it actually did affect in some ways. Yeah. Not, so, yeah. And that kind of got into what's more fun. Did you unplug that? Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> edit and post. The channel does. The time to print. But she's ruining your business. <laughs> <laughs> I have a printer at home that I don't know why this happens, but once a week it will print a page with like a triangle on it. I don't know where it's That's coming terrifying. from. Yeah, I know. It's like odd. I have no yeah, idea. It's a little scary. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Well, cool. Yeah, that's really cool. I was just kind of curious if you remember, I remember when we talked about that, but um, I'll do the introductions. I've already done the introduction separate, so we can just jump okay. right into it. Um, let's talk about, uh, yeah, the lessons that you've learned. And again, you know, I sent this over to you beforehand. You've had some time to kind of talk uh -huh. through it. Um, and what I love about doing this is just that I think there are different lessons that you get at the end than when you get in the middle when mm -hmm. you're still CEO, still fighting the battle. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. obviously you've exited your business at this point. Your relationship with that business is now over. Mm -hmm. And so allowing some time to reflect on what you learned from a business standpoint, from a personal standpoint, I think there's a lot of value for entrepreneurs who are on the front side of that hill mm -hmm. to find out mm -hmm. like, what's on the other side. Mm -hmm. um, so mm -hmm. you have a list of 13 things. Let's just jump right into it. Your first one, you said, was the Costanza opposite strategy. I just jumped back. In, well, yeah, we just jumped back into watching uh, Seinfeld. So okay, I'm hoping okay. that we bring to Seinfeld. Have you gotten that one yet? <laughs> um, I haven't yet. Um, and then also, I think one of the people on my team kept on. They were struck with the fact that you look like Jerry Seinfeld. 
So I, I remember him bringing that up. You've never got that before. No. That's I've gotten funny. Woody from Toy Story, but okay. uh, well, yeah, that's... <laughs> that's not flattering. But yeah, so the Costanza opposite strategy specifically said, don't follow others' rule books or assume they know what you should be doing. Build a business model that works for your clients and get can get you to profits. Yeah. Talk about that a little bit. Well, I think that comes from, and it was a great example of something that we learned mid, uh, mid-journey uh, happened... I think go, you go into a startup, especially the first, this is my first true startup from zero. And there's a lot of advice that you get. And whether it's advice of what an investor says or someone who you know has been in another startup or you do a lot of reading, watch a lot of podcasts, you know, a lot mm-hmm. of things. And there's this certain kind of rule book that you start reading of here's how you do it. Here's the, mm-hmm. here's the playbook. And I'd say in, in particular, even, you know, you listen to most to investors and they're used to that. Here's, you know, a great one back then was don't worry about profit. You know, it's all revenue. Why would you? I remember one of our, I mean, a very sharp investor literally saying, I don't even know why you would report profit when you're doing your quarterly numbers. Like, that's just so meaningless. Hmm. And you hear that, and because you're a rookie, you go, okay, yeah, that's what you do, and I'm doing that, and I say this, and, and okay, raise more money, and you know, we just raised, and then we're talking about what's the next raise, and the first board meeting after the raise, and I'm like, oh, I guess that's what you do. and. Uh, I think we'll probably get into this a couple times, but you know, when you go to the point of, okay, we're not going to get any more investment dollars, we're burning way too much money, and this company is going to be shut down unless we do something different, that moment of truth, and for me it was also, my co-founder left the company, you know, I slid over as the CEO, and you go, okay, full stop, what, what's happening here? And mm-hmm. the thing that we just started thinking was, what if all that advice was wrong. <laughs> you know, what if it's not about, what if profits are important and mm. what could that mean? So just almost, it, it, it was a, a forcing function of, let's assume whatever you hear, the opposite is actually the case. Or what if, you know, kind of yes. even entertaining that. And, and there's probably 10 strategy books that say you're supposed to do that. But for us, it just became that like, whoa, you know, the, the, the blinders kind of came off. Mm. The illusion is to, uh, uh, and I hope it's not a spoiler alert for you, wherever you no, are I in the do, Seinfeld I saga here. Not, but, that you but George Costanza literally, yes. like at one point, saying, what if I just did the opposite of everything that's my natural inclination? Yes. <laughs> and he became a, a Superman. And so it was that kind of idea of, yes. you know, let's just do what's right. You know, let's just go back and, and you know, I had run multiple profitable, high growth, you know, businesses and brands before. Why did I forget that because it's a startup now yes. and uh, that led us to just really kind of saying we're, it's our own thing we've got to do what we're doing the investors you know other you know blogs or posts are not going to tell us what to do we've got to figure it out on our own yeah it's almost this thing of have you ever like played a video game where you have what do they call them non it's like non-real players. NPCs? NPCs. Non-player characters? Non-player or characters, <laughs> yes. It's the guy who just like, he's like a robot that just spits out words or something uh-huh. like that. I, I think there's a version of that, especially in first-time founders, where we we regurgitate the lessons that we've heard from whatever, it's Naval or whatever podcast, yeah, yeah, and we just kind yeah. of like, we spit it back out and think, this is what being a founder is. Yeah. When it's actually like, you, you need to be a real player. You actually have to engage your mind and say, what do I think is best? And... It's interesting that, that yeah. it seems like what pushed you over, or was it just kind of gun to the head of like, 
I've been trying what everyone else is saying and it's not working. Maybe I should start doing what I think. Pretty much. Yeah. Once, once the things that, you know, if you're, you're following the playbook, you really, well, this is getting us to a position that's not going to work much longer. Yes. So we just, by definition, you know, it's the definition of insanity, you know, the hitting your head yes. against the wall and thinking it's going to be different. Uh, I think that was big. And then just, again, there's a, a, a mentality of we're the only ones here. Like we're the ones who are going to live and die on this thing. And so let's, let's, we have to figure it out. No one can tell us. We know the business better than anyone else. You're not going to get a gold star for doing it how everyone wants you to do it. Right. In yes. fact, if it was that easy, every startup would be successful. Yes. So it's the ones that don't follow the rule book, I think yes. by and large, that end up winning. Did you uh, stop consuming as much content or getting as much advice at that point? Or how does that jive with actually consuming content? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I think, um, if anything, I probably read more, but getting into, like, throwing away more of the, the, the startup-type books and, and posts and more of, like, classic business mm. and strategy and how does the world work. You know, I think that was more key for me um, of understanding. You know, things like it, there's a great book uh it's on human nature you know it's just like here's how people work like getting deeper into that which even helps you analyze yourself and to come up with these kinds of insights you know is, yeah is, you know, was it do you know what the name of that book is it uh great. it's robert um forgetting his last name he's the he's the author of the 48 strategies of war and okay. the, you know the, the laws of power he's got his we'll most recent it. book is yeah. on human nature okay and again, it's kind of set up as, you know, some historical figures, hmm. stories, as well as into the present day. And but you started to become the curator of what books you ought to read, as opposed to maybe letting someone else prescribe what books you yes. ought to read. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Hmm. That's great. This is a re that's a huge insight. Um, I probably, I'm sure that bleeds into your second one, which is talking about you have to control your own destiny. That seems like that was the conclusion that yeah. you said. And that was kind of the, 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 I guess, the second chapter in that uh, crisis that we were at. Um, we started the business focused on uh, Pinterest marketing. Yes. And kind of the whole uh, thesis was marketers are always needing to shift to how the consumer's tastes change. Uh, you know, I kind of have the long belief that the future of marketing is less about interruption and more about adding value to the consumer's life through the marketing Absolutely. itself. And we bet on Pinterest as a platform that we could grow with. Yes. Uh, and Pinterest was, I mean, it was new at the time that you guys were doing that. It was, it was new. Really it was high growth, the fastest growing startup in terms of yeah. membership. In terms of membership, I think, ever. Yeah. 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 Uh, and something that had that appeal of it's a platform that's not about what are your friends doing that we're trying to interrupt. It's about, hey, you're looking for ideas and inspiration, how to decorate your house, yes. what to make for Thanksgiving dinner. And we could see, obviously, that marketers could use content that people actually would find useful. Here's the recipe from Kraft. Here's the the decorating tip from Pier One or Bayer Paint. Yeah. You know. Um, so you latched onto them. Latched onto that, and also, you know, again, a little bit of maybe assuming the playbook in a wrong way. <laughs> we looked at the playbook of other social platforms like Facebook and Twitter, where they developed an ecosystem of partners. And literally, we're pushing business to those partners mm. to help them scale and help uh, the brand people who wanted to play get some help. And so our bet was, hey, this Pinterest thing is going to keep taking off. Marketers are going to follow the consumer's eyeballs and see that it's a better way of doing kind of content marketing. 
and then the Pinterest itself would welcome with with open arms, and you know, we'll, it'll be a win-win-win. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had many self-inflicted wounds in the first couple years, but the Pinterest was not exactly using that playbook, and mm. uh, uh, it, it kind of was slower to grow, slower to create an ecosystem, and more challenging to work with, and certainly not business being thrown at us uh, from their team. Uh, if anything, we were being cut out with existing relationships. So, mm -hmm. hey, you don't need to work with those guys. Just work directly with us. Right, because they'll give you a customer. I mean, we sure, yeah. yeah. So, um, so we literally said like, and we're running out of money. You know, burning about fifty-five employees at the time. Okay. And then, like I said, my co-founder left, and kind of our executive team were like, all right, we got to figure this thing out. What are, what are we doing here? And. Uh, we really said like we've got to do two things first get off pinterest once and for all we, we can't rely on them anymore that bed is done we've got mm -hmm. to find some other business to, to go into and secondly we've got to get profitable hmm. and you know we're tired of 10 cupping back to the investors and let's find another investor and at this point how much time. did you raise oh gosh we had raised at that point somewhere around five six million plus we had about a maybe a million and a half debt okay. as well so and our investors basically said okay we'll give you one more chunk of money <laughs> this is it you know inside round yeah no one else would put new money in we went everywhere and we said okay this is it and the theme was control our own destiny hmm. let's stop waiting you know to that, for, that Pinterest will be nice to us or that platform will grow let's stop waiting to think that our losses will keep being maintained and so it became a company theme, and uh, we had to again go down to about thirty employees from fifty-five. Um, you know, we made it an open thing. We said, guys, we got to find a new business. We got to get profitable. On the profitable piece, we created this um, this concept. Uh, if you ever heard in the startup world, you know, in one of those posts we all read, it's uh, the setting your your death date. If you've hmm. ever heard that, like this is the day that we run out of money and you put it on the calendar, it's supposed to motivate you to, hmm. oh no, we could die. We created a life date hmm. and we said, here's the date that we're, we have to get profitable. <laughs> yeah, so it's a positive spin on that's, that. That's like the, and an opportunity we had, for improvement as yeah, opposed to right, a problem. Exactly, yes, yeah, exactly. Something more inspirational than yeah. here's the day we die, you know, but, uh, but it's implied and you get it. And uh, you know, we had, we had about like 18 months, you know, kind of, we were still, we had some revenue, like we had clients yeah. on our Pinterest business with some, you know, it was some SaaS type, mm -hmm. you know, uh, annual, uh, revenue, but you know, we said, this is the time that we need to get there. And, uh, that was very clear. We opened up mm -hmm. all our books. I mean, we already were very transparent, but so here's what it's going to be. We gave, you know, every weekly updates on where we are, mm -hmm. is the date adjusting forward or back based on how we were doing. And we also said, kind of our team, we've got to find something to do beyond Pinterest. Mm -hmm. And that led to, you know, we, we had some ideas around, could we use our data for trend identification? Uh, you know, we had some really neat assets. We had this kind of a group of, we had content creators, bloggers that were, were on our platform to give the uh, content that the brands could use. Mm -hmm. We had some interesting tools for optimizing social posting. And uh, so we were playing in different areas, and, uh, but I'll never forget one of our, by keeping this open as a company activity, one of our uh, salespeople went into a meeting with an agency and the agency, you know, kind of doing the usual pitch and the agency says, what you guys are doing, it's kind of like influencer marketing. 
And she smartly said, yes, it is. <laughs> what do you mean by that? Yeah. Uh, and basically, you know, this agency said like, yeah, we, we do influencer marketing all the time. Here's how it works. And, uh, you know, we had kind of seen that on the edges and yeah. some of these bloggers that had, you know, been do, were doing paid contracts to work with, uh, work with them to create content. We just came back, looked at some of the competitors, almost saw what they were doing and said, well, what if we could do something, some different things as well, you know? Um, and that led us to kind of take, uh, one of our salespeople and just say, Hey, let's keep going down that influencer path. And we were meanwhile creating a process and, uh, rejiggering our, our tools more for that model, uh, creating some new things to, to manage those campaigns. And within a, like that was around 2016, hmm. uh, before that year was done, we were we had kind of turned completely over to influencer. We were retiring our Pinterest clients. Uh, revenue started doubling, you know, two years in a row. Got profitable, hit our date. You know, it was pretty awesome. But uh, was that just kind of open sourcing that concept of we've got to figure this out ourselves? And it was really a great rallying cry yes. too. I heard the phrase: uh, "Nothing clears the mind like a hanging." <laughs> right, it's like, we have lots of gallows humor on the team, right? yeah. you know, and that's and that's when you know, like when you can sit here and almost joke about, all right, well, let's have a meeting about what if we have to go to five people? Yeah, like we had those conversations, or where I was personally wiring money from my account to hit payroll, you know, like those situations yeah. too, where you just go, all right, you know, we're not doing anything dumb it's here. It's part of it. It's real, but. Yes. But that pain made that desire for freedom probably even greater. It was like, we've got to get out of this thing. We've got yeah. to get to a spot where we can control. Yeah, yeah. and there's, there's something, I think, magic about that point of no one's going to save us. It's just all here. You know, going from 55 employees down to 30, you know, I had a lot of, you know, everybody I had one-on-one -on -one deep conversations with, you know, whether some people in positions we had to eliminate, some people were like, hey... If you're into it, we'll keep you. But if not, this is a good time to not stay on the boat. And, you know, the 30 that remained were almost doubled down passionate, you know, yeah. and, and conversations of like, Bob, I'm with you to the end, you know, and like, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So when you have that, then you know, okay, nothing, there's nothing external to be afraid of. We're going to figure this thing out. That's great. Yeah. And it sounds like maybe even jumping into your third point where you said, um, bring a better take on an existing growing market. Look where dollars and trends are already going. Was that the influencer market? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that was part of the, the learning. And, you know, when we went in to, with, with our Pinterest marketing optimization software, you know, we knew risks. I mean, we knew like, oh, what if this Pinterest thing doesn't take off? Sure. What if, you know, people just want to work with them instead of us, we get cut out. I mean, all those things are there. You still, though, kind of jump in off the, the pier and you've mm -hmm. got... Uh, the passion, but it was certainly, there was another one of those, th those early signs on that, that going to influencer, uh, on the Pinterest side, I would personally do a lot of meetings where I'm meeting with brand managers, educating them on why they should spend money on Pinterest. There wasn't even a Pinterest salesperson for them to speak mm -hmm. with yet. So first I had to sell them on Pinterest and then I had to sell them on why Ahology as your Pinterest marketing partner. So it's a two-step, a double pitch. step. Yes. Yeah, and uh, and you know, as we started edging into influencer, you know, one of our, our first meetings uh, at another agency, uh, my salesperson said, "Come up, Bob, and do a do a speech." And and I created this this presentation all about how great influencer marketing is. 
and then why us? Hmm. And like five minutes in, one of the agents people goes, um, we're already buying influencer marketing. Could you just tell us how you're different? That's perfect. And I was like, yeah. oh, you know, the light, the light came down. I was like, educated wait anybody. a minute. Yeah. This is great. You know, let yeah. me go to slide 20. You know? yes. <laughs> and that just was magic, you know, and, and you start seeing, okay, they get it. They're already in the market. And it was also, again, getting into some of the, the strategy we could see, oh, and this is why they're not happy. There was one competitor that had kind of been dominating the, the packaged goods influencer space. And we could see from the outside and even just talking to these customers, like what are the three things that you're not happy with them or want? They were fat and lazy and happy. And we just said like, okay, we're gonna give you, you know, verified impressions. We're gonna mm -hmm. be able to measure your ROI and our creative is gonna be, you know, spectacular. And it matched your skill sets that you'd already developed as well. Like, yeah, it yes, was all these yes, tools that we'd yes. done. And some of the hard stuff of begging clients to renew with us, you mm -hmm. know, you get great service, you get yes. some interesting tools and, and data to share. And so they were like, wow, we got these hungry people here. Here's 50 grand. We'll try you guys. We got another campaign next month. Here's 50 grand. Oh, this is awesome. Here's another one. Oh, and I got my partner at the other brand down the hall. They, they want something too. They like you guys. Here's another one. Call my, you know, sister company in Atlanta, you know, and... Then it just went. I heard somebody describe uh, first-time founders typically choose uh, market risk, which is you create a new market. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. if that happens, you typically will have like multiple, just r ridiculous returns. Um, but it's very low odds it's going to happen. Yeah. And typically, second-time founders will choose execution risk, mm. which is they'll say, if we can execute this, we already know the market's there and we're going to win. Mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. um, and typically, those are lower outcomes mm. but higher odds that you'll actually get the, that outcome mm -hmm. and it almost mm -hmm. sounds like you kind of went from cr trying to create a market around pinterest to saying yeah we can just execute this better and win yeah yeah, yeah. right and then even you know again i think that's a lot of markets too they fragment so yes. it was great for us to we focused on the packaged goods segmented industry we weren't trying to get musicians we weren't trying to get yes. celebrities mm. you know it was micro influencers in cpg which also happened to be an area where you know I spent my career working with those kinds of brands here in Cincinnati. We've got a lot of people we could hire that used to working with big brands, and uh, you know once in a while we get a sales person say, "Oh, we got a, a opportunity with the Utah Tourism, you know, board." And I was like, "Well, you can go for it, but I'm going to tell you, it's not going to go well. Hmm. It's not going to go well." What do you mean? They got money? It's hundred grand? They're really excited? Like, we've never worked with you know uh, travel before like that. They're going to be picky. They're going to be different types of marketers. Go ahead and try it. Like, try it. We fail. We may lose money on it, but hmm. it's not going to be the growth area for us. Yeah, it's you were really mapping uniquely to your skill set and your knowledge base, which also ended up being great for the exit eventually, where yeah. you fit, you find your dance partner by focusing versus just spreading everywhere. That makes a ton of sense. Yeah. It, I feel like each of your points so far have all felt really tied to each other. Yeah. You know, like I, feel like I can see, I can see how you kind of, it's almost a story so far at least of kind of um, coming into realizing what do I actually think? What am I actually good at? Good at? What do I actually want? Yeah, yeah. You know, and then once you leaned into each of those things, it seems like the, the kind of the floodgates opened up more. And I think that's kind of strategy, you know, which is yeah. the, it's choices. And yes. so, Who's these choices? Which is the best one? All right, we're going to go there, and that means these are dead. Okay, you know. Yeah, but there's something about um, 
there's strategy about what I ought to do, and then there's strategy about what I want to get or want mm-hmm. to do. Mm-hmm. And I feel like want to do typically, there's something about it's a lower seat, and so because of that, I feel like it has a little bit more velocity or something. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's. Mm-hmm. I, I just noticed this in the way people talk about strategy. You can talk about it philosophically. Yeah. Um, of like this makes sense. I sometimes I'll hear a pitch and it'll sound more like a, a logical syllogism mm-hmm. as to why they're going to succeed. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and those don't typically succeed as yeah. much as people who are like, I want to win, and so I'm just gonna I'm gonna choose a strategy that guarantees that I win. Yeah. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. I don't know. Have you noticed that pattern? Have you ever seen that before? Yeah. I mean, I think it's also even you know the, there's almost a strategy of a strategy, which is. We have no. We don't know what we're gonna do. We're putting ourselves in a position to learn mm-hmm. and adjust. You know, it's and that goes with the the no plan survives first contact with yeah. the enemy kind <laughs> right. of thing. Like you could have a plan, but it's probably not gonna work. Yes. And so knowing that going in is yeah. helpful. But if you have a desire, like you know, control your getting freedom, you know, then yeah. you can kind of you can navigate. And that's way. like a personal strategy. Yes. You know, that's a. You know, I think, you know, and one of the things that's talked about a lot is if you're not passionate about the business, there's an infinite number of businesses any one of us could create. Yes. Uh, doing something that you're passionate about purposely because it's going to get you up at night, you're going to have more fun, you're going to have some knowledge, it's going to mm-hmm. it's going to be like, oh my God, they're paying me for this? Like that, that kind of concept yes. versus, all right, I got to figure out how to sell health insurance in a better way. That's not me, you know, mm-hmm. and knowing strategically for yourself, your personal preferences, I think are a huge piece of the success. Yes, and that's not selfish, that's actually just realistic. Playing your strengths. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, there's a there's some pattern I've noticed in the Midwest that we don't we don't play that up nearly as much as I think we could. Yeah. Of uh, playing your strengths or even just doing what you want. Hmm. 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 Um, mm-hmm. I think we tend to do maybe what others expect or something like that a little bit more. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Um, talk a little bit about the exec roundtable. I'm actually really curious about this. We never had anything like this, but you said your exec roundtable is powerful, but remote is too hard. Yeah, so that's something that's um, a key learning of success of my first uh, kind of entrepreneurial venture after leaving Procter & Gamble, our, uh, our digital agency, Bridge. It was really where we had a group of us, most of us had worked together in the past and uh, had been friends, but we treated it like an equal group. I mean, it was literally kind of the Knights of the Round Table classic thing where, you know, we'd spend two, we'd spend a morning every two weeks, door locked, let's talk through how the business is doing, what are we doing, like getting into it, really deep stuff. Um, and sometimes you're yelling at each other, sometimes you're all agreeing, sometimes, you know, rarely the, the CEO has to make a decision if there's a tie, but it, it's, you go with it. And uh, that kind of mentality I loved, it was key to our success. Each person having a different, you know, owning a different piece, but also bringing different skills and perspectives. And so when I um, took over as the CEO of Ology, that was something that I just really believed in recreating. And uh, similarly, you know, we elevated a couple people. We had some new people that, that came in locally and uh, we had at the time a head of technology that was out in San Francisco and a head of sales that was in Chicago. And while that concept of our executive team worked really well and it was key for us to discover where to go and and turn this business around and get profitable, um, it was really difficult to stay on the same page with those executives who were not local. And 
uh, both of them did not end up staying on the journey and uh, it's just kind of one of those things where you go you know what it's it's I think both of them too if we were all together like having that quality time locked in a room a couple hours a day you would get in sync better and learn from each other mm -hmm. in a way that you just can't do on video you know a trip once in a while yes especially when these this group over here is going deeper but yeah. you're only coming in and out that's very difficult yeah and, and and again especially senior people you know i think just one of those things and beliefs i have is that you're inheriting we're inheriting each other's lifetimes experience and so the cro in chicago the technology person in san francisco they, they were both very successful had great careers and yet you, everybody needs to change. We all have to adapt and evolve to each other, but you can't do that from afar. And Only you can't do that exposure. on dinner or once right. a quarter or yeah. something. Yeah, so it just kind of became something for me in my personal, the new playbook is, you know, uh, unless we have a long history together, I would just rather bring, you know, work, you know, with people in person that, mm. that we know. And, it, and part of it is, it goes back to selfish. Like to me, the, it's the company like is like, I want to have friends. I want to work with people. I want to be able to laugh and joke and, and have lunch together and, and like just selfishly a video and COVID is a good experience here, but like the video is not cutting it. It's like not it's not, you know, I don't, I don't like, I just don't want to do remote work and um, doesn't mean that, you know, in the future, businesses that okay you're forced to come to the office or things like that we'll have to see how people's preferences and comfort settles out but this is all like people stuff mm -hmm. and uh, that's what i enjoy not yeah. not a transactional everything's asymmetric everything's on slack if you need it here's a video let's try to kill meetings i mean again everything can be abused but i think that there's not enough talk about the friendships and the camaraderie mm -hmm. and the, the the specialness of just like you spend 50, 60 hours a week working, you might as well have fun working with people that you love to be with, you know? Totally. And, and my last couple of companies, we've had that, so. This is what you like. Yeah. 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 That's really good. That's super, uh, I feel like it's good to know what you want, you know, and for also to be able to say, hey, I don't want this other thing. Have you thought a little bit about how that's gonna adjust now with COVID stuff, or are you kind of like, we'll see. Start I mean, the next company after. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, uh, we're working on something now, but it's not going to scale up to, you know, that for, I'm sure, you know, a couple of years. But, uh, but I think there is a certain point of, it goes into, hey, you, you create the company that you want and you'll mm -hmm. attract other people that want that same thing. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I, I, just a, a side thing, I, I story that I love is um, I, the company that bought us, uh, this is like last um a holiday period there was a holiday party at their office in New York City that I happened to be in town for and I went to it and I was riding up the elevator it's this very fancy restaurant for this you know very cool thing everybody's dressed up and there was a couple employees at that office and they were talking together they didn't know we were you know in the same group and they're like well I'm glad this party is on a Tuesday because you know I would hate to have to go to a party with my coworkers if it was like on a Saturday and you know, we had just had, you know, two months earlier, a giant party on a Saturday night for our whole office hmm. because we hit a, a company milestone in our earnout. 
and people love to get together on a weekend. Like like that concept of, mm-hmm. could you imagine working at a company where people feel like it's a chore to get together with coworkers mm-hmm. on a weekend, on a precious weekend, yes. versus I can't wait to get together with my coworkers. This is so fun. I don't want to work on the, the former. Like I yes. want to do the latter. Yeah. So um, how, do we, how do we do that? Uh, what does it take to make that kind of company? Because uh, the business, the money, all that stuff, yeah, it's there. There's lots of ways to make money and there's lots of ways to do business, but why don't we set it up so we can enjoy it together as much as possible? Absolutely. And w- if you're enjoying the work environment, you're going to work harder, right? Because you're playing while everyone else is working. Like, this is yeah. it's great. Yeah. yeah. And again, the bad things happen, you figure it out. You know, yeah. uh, there's no stress. There's no, I mean, it's, and that's, I mean, this is human. How do you play to human nature? How do you play to what we want to do versus, mm-hmm. again, some other rule book of the work? you know, life divide or whatever. That's great. That's really good. Tell me about uh, your number five was promote from within is a stronger path than assuming senior external hires are going to know better. Yeah. Um, so again, similarly of, the, of that point of, of those couple executives outside of, of Cincinnati that we brought in had a, had a very expensive headhunter, you know, mm-hmm. did a long search and um, the folks that we replaced them with and how we grew the team ended up coming from internal promotions. Um, hmm. uh, one was a woman who we hired right out of college who uh, got some amazing opportunity. As we were shifting into influencer, she started taking over our paid social media work, taught herself how to do that, and you know, got to the position where she was leading a, you know, a team of paid social buying, working hmm. with external vendors. And we said, hey, you've got to be on the executive team because you're running a big chunk of important to our business, we need you in this group. So here's a, here's a promotion, you know, here's this, and now you're, you know, you've got a seat at the round table. We mm-hmm. did that with, um, let's see, one, two, three, four other people, mm-hmm. all female leaders. Um, some came from a couple right out of college, basically, a couple that had a few mm-hmm. years experience. And I think you get to that point, back to the, the, the executive team, the magic there is, you start as a CEO, you, you go, I don't want to make a decision. You know, that the ironic thing is like you start learning, if I'm making a decision, we're going to fail. Because I can't be there all the time. I don't know what's going on with the paid social. If I have to learn that, you know, then we're not scaling. Mm-hmm. And so there's this kind of magical thing happening when you start going, okay, my job is just to turn this over to other people. Not in a, I'm done with it, you know, we're all representing it. You're actually more the connector and facilitator. Yeah, Yeah. yes, and um, like for me, if if we had to make a decision, I felt naked if I didn't have the other executive experts weighing in. And uh, so again, I think there's something really special about promoting from within at all levels. You know, some of it is, Honestly, you avoid the, the baggage that a lot of people have mm-hmm. um, that you have to unwind. It's another to see. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, come in, come in fresh, you know, new perspective. You're, you're almost, um, you get to grow people's brains from scratch, yes. you know, and they don't have. Uh, it's a custom build as yeah. opposed to some off the shelf right. stock. You know, yeah. I don't know if it's going to fit. It's like, oh, this is. Yeah. yeah. And especially things like, you know, again, thinking about culture and, mm-hmm. and trust. A lot of people have worked at companies that don't have great culture and mm. they don't trust their leaders. And so it's hard to get that Some out of re-education. them. re-education. Yeah. yeah. Um, versus let's just get somebody who's 
positive and, and ready to go and they can learn the right way from the beginning and then you just throw more, as you grow, you just throw more responsibility. Like, well, why, would, why would we go risk, pay another recruiter, you know, have somebody, hmm. like let's just see if we can figure this out ourselves, give somebody an opportunity and what's the worst thing that's gonna happen? It, it, they don't fit so well, and then you can go hire the expert or you know try something different. Sure. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean that's that's, and then again, it's also fun just like seeing people. Oh, it's so go, gratifying you know, to see someone grow. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. Like things that they never thought they could do, and boom. Yes, especially if you're creating an environment that allows for growth and trying things as opposed to just like yeah. one mistake and you're done or yeah. something like that. It is yeah. the downside sometimes. I mean, like. Um, yeah, I've had many conversations with people, especially the, the, uh, the downside of the, especially the, the younger hire coming in is they tend to think, what's the path? You know, mm -hmm. everybody wants, what's my path? What's my yes. career path? And when am I going to come promoted? And they see their friend get promoted at a big company or, yep. you know, the, the, the large companies in P and G, they got a new role every nine months. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, the speech is, we don't have it. You're going to figure it out. You know, go grow something, go build something, go, or you come and tell me, but hey, Bob, I'm working with clients and I see that they need X and I think I should go lead that. All right, go, you know, yeah. or at least try and we'll see. Uh, that That's very unusual for a lot of people. And, but um, when you, when you can think that way, it opens up a lot of people's, you know, eyes to what can be done. And, and then if some people want the war former career path, that's good to go there. You know, mm -hmm. that's that's all of us finding our, our way. Sure. Have you ever given too much responsibility too quick and then had to back off? I mean, I've seen some people struggle in bigger jobs, mm -hmm. but uh, not really. I mean, in, in there, like, the fact that you're giving them the responsibility and the try, usually they figure that out first. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they actually come back and say, you know what, I'm trying this, I'm not, I'm discovering I don't, this like is not what I want yeah. to do or that yeah. I'm not fit or I think we need something different. And that's the better way mm -hmm. to go. Um, and again, there's also micro examples of that all the time, like the salesperson I said that, you know, tried the Utah Tourism Board. Yeah. You know, this is gonna fail. I've been yeah. there, I've seen it, I did it myself, like, mm -hmm. but there's something, as long as it's not gonna, screw things up, mm -hmm. let people learn by trying and failing. Sure. And then they might surprise you and get it done and then you're wrong, which is a, you know, it's a win no matter what. So, but just giving people enough uh, rope, I guess, <laughs> to not totally hang themselves, but to try. You sound like a good parent of two teenage girls. <laughs> you know, like that seems like a good yeah. parenting policy too, especially with older kids. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> they keep going. They're doing well. But. Yeah. Um, we'll talk about the thing that's related to number six here. Um, you say a process mindset helps you grow without stress. So it's this yeah. idea of embracing the process maybe rather than... Say more yeah, I think that was again something that I learned um, at our, our previous agency. You know, agency work is all about it. To, to make money, you've got to be efficient. Mm -hmm. You know, client's going to pay X or, you know, this dollar an hour. How sure. do we manage time? How do we manage projects? And so... Uh, you know, very early a key to our success was finding how can we get something repeatable and just do it the same way. Hmm. And I think moving over into the startup world, that's, you know, you have to experiment and test a lot of things and do a lot of things that, you know, by hand or that are not scalable. Hmm. But it's really about once you find something that you want to repeat, it becomes, okay, let's, let's create a way of doing something. 
And that's a mentality that a lot of people don't have naturally. Hmm. To, I think the word process, unfortunately, tends to get lumped into like bureaucracy. Yes. And we have a, 10 people have to sign this expense report and you have to go to this software and that software. But it's more like, what's a way we're going to do something? Can we all just agree? We're going to do it this way. Um, when someone gets hired, here's, the ch here's how we onboard them. Hmm. We bring them in. They spend the first half hour going through the paperwork. Someone invites them to lunch. The whole team takes them to lunch. You know, like, here's how you, you just expense it. Like, just we do that. And so you don't have to think. That's how the brain is actually organized. Like, most of what happens up here is not truly thinking. Hmm. We go through the motions. We get in a shower and we don't think about you it. Got we got a patch. Walk. You yeah. got the patch in. And, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Like, the more you can, you know, it's the cognitive load minimized. So that you have less stress, you can, and then you can spend that brain time on where it's better used of creativity or problem solving or people issues and things like that. And so that was something where you know we we just built this this habit of even you know something went wrong. Okay, there was a we did this campaign and we spent too much money by we hiring an expensive influencer. Um, okay, uh, what happened there? Like oh. What did we learn? Oh, we learned this. Okay, let's adjust the process so that on this kind of situation, we just put a flag that we should double check X, Y, and Z. Done. No one's in trouble. No one made a mistake. No one screwed up. We learned something. We adjust the process. And you had something to, to, to adjust. And there's something yeah. about having a document or whatever yeah. to be like, great, we fixed it. Yes. Something about that, it feels like you have some closure and like you know you won't repeat it. Yes. Right? It's yes. okay to have new mistakes, but you don't want to be repeating the same old mistakes over and over. And then the mentality too is, you know, as the CEO, we'd make mistakes or find opportunities and people would just fix it on their own. And I wouldn't even know about it. Like that's the beauty. Like, oh, we screwed something up and we had a $10,000 loss on that, but it's okay. We, we fix it here. We did a little adjustment there and the process is happening and we're not going to do it again. Hmm. Okay. Done. Done. Awesome. This is beautiful. Mm -hmm. That makes a ton of sense. Were those processes actually documented? Yeah, like Google Docs. Google Docs. Like that. They just yeah. and are people literally applying these processes? Like we know the X, then Y. That's mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. New campaign. Here's checklists. What are the things? You know, again, even especially things like serving a client. How do you make it easy for them? Give them a prop. Don't ask them the same thing over and over. You know, hmm. how can you? Uh, you know, we, we, and even things like the, you having a process makes it easier for the client, which makes it easier for them to come back to you. Hmm. You know, we, we'd say things like that we would even create a process for, we have a, a new client we're working with. We know that's always a pain in their butt. You know, they have to give them the brand assets and what's the legal rules of what mm -hmm. they can say and they can't say and how do they like reporting done. And so we would almost go in and say, hey client, this one's going to be hard. This one's gonna be kind of painful because we haven't worked together. But the good news is we're creating a process for you. And you know, we go to a, uh, you know, after the campaign is done, we have a wrap up meeting, which has its own process to make it easy. And if there was a mistake or something the client wasn't happy about, we would frame it as, oh, and we didn't know that your product has to be shot with this light and you know, have this kind of thing behind it. And we did fix that by doing a reshoot and now that we know that, we've added that to our process. So when we work on our next campaign with you, it won't happen. And they're like, oh, thank you. Like you not only fixed it, you solved it. 
And so, of course, they're going to work with you on the next campaign Absolutely. because you've gone through and done that. And Absolutely. You're actually growing in value every time that yeah. you fix the process. Right. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's brilliant. I really like that. I, I'm tempted as you're talking. I'm literally tempted to be taking this. <laughs> like, you know, like, oh, if I, only this was video recorded <laughs> and put into a medium <laughs> right. somehow, like, this is organized great. by chapter. This is fantastic. Yeah. Okay. On number seven, uh, you said post-product market fit. Um, which I want you to define in a second. Um, your main job is scaling people through vision, responsibility, transparency, and values. First, how do you define product market fit? Or how do you? It's funny. I was it? just reading another, you know, one of these posts about what Paul Graham's got. Everyone's got a definition, but like in your own mind, if you were trying to explain it to my nine-year-old, something that kind of sells itself. Not not that people are just necessarily coming to you and begging you know, with their money out, but just you have kind of a process where we know this is something people like. If we present it in a certain way, there's a high chance of that person converting into a sale. And if we do that one campaign, one sale, there's a high probability that if we do it well, they will buy more. Like So the, the machine just starts rolling mm -hmm. of what you're selling. <clears throat> and so... Um, when you get to that point and you're not making decisions, not even having to solve many problems because of this mentality, people are figuring it out on their own. I think it then becomes, okay, how do we just, you know, we're growing people now. It's becomes a, you know, a little bit of a productive paranoia kicks in, which is things are going well, but what could go wrong? Mm -hmm. It's kind of, a, I think, always something that, I, that I've had. And the thing that could go wrong is, as we're hiring more people, what if we don't get the right people? Or what if, you know, that that was one key. So the folks coming in and being a guard for that. And the second element is people are working so well. And, you know, we got our culture humming. But, you know, it's the, whether it's, uh, you know, what, what's the entropy factor in physics of, you know, the sun eventually fades. You know, the, you just, you know there's the, if you don't maintain the garden, weeds come in. And so there's a natural tendency of we've got our people working well together. What if something happens? What if, you know, there's a problem in the system, if there's a cancer or whatever. And so that really became over half of my time was various ways of helping sure that making sure that the people were working well and the magic kept going. Um, so for me, that would be things like I do quarterly one-on-ones with every employee, you know, at least a half an hour, um, Get, you know, it's a great way to stay in touch. Here's what's going on. Communicate things that you're trying to get across. Hear their issues. You know, kind of do little pockets of data samples of, of individual people. Hmm. Um, I do interviews, final interviews for everybody we hired. Um, uh, I do. I mean, this is, sounds weird, but the most powerful thing about Slack is you get to see what people are saying. You get to basically, hmm. uh, you know, uh, spy on conversations and you know, and see are people treating each other well? Hmm. Are there arguments going on? Like, is it active? Are people talking about getting together for the happy hour on a Wednesday? Or you know, hmm. like in like those little we had another thing we use we use this tool called Office Vibe, which does a, a kind of a, a, a culture survey to everybody. It's once a week or, or every other week, and it's anonymous, so people can say whatever they want. That was the first email I would read. You know, any comment there, and take that, and whether it was respond to the person anonymously, or you know, if they identified themselves with an idea or a complaint or a question, hey, let's go talk about this. 
often I would bring the comment up in the middle of a all company meeting and say, Hey, someone said this, how do we feel about that guys? Let's talk about this, you know? And so, uh, those are some of the things. And then I think part of the, the people strategy becomes, you know, how do you design the business around, you know, what is a, what is a culture? And I, and I, I don't know if someone said this or read it, but for me, a high performance culture is where people are all clicking and there's four elements of that. Um, the first is having a vision. Where are we going? You know, what, what, this is our hypothesis. If we build this kind of great company, if we do this together, you know, there's some way we can improve the world and be successful in lots of different ways. Here's where we're going. Um, another part is giving responsibility and accountability. And that goes with a couple things I've said. My, my favorite way, I, I love to have this little speech with a new hire. I draw out a org chart on a piece of paper. Like, here's me at the top, and here's the executive team, and here's, you know, some managers, and here's you, you know, one of these boxes at the bottom. And then I turn it upside down. I go, you're at the top. You guys who are running projects, who are talking to clients, who are selling, who are writing code, you are the top of the pyramid. And us in leadership are just there to support you. So go do the right thing, make decisions, know that you have that power and we're here to support you, to help, check in, you know, if there's something you're having an issue with, like, um, and so, and, th and that, that's not a speech, that's real. That's like that is, <laughs> you cannot build a business, hmm. a strong business, unless you're giving people that kind of responsibility and accountability hmm. and they make it happen. Like that's something, it's just humanity, like yes. we do that. Um, we, love, we love that. We love yes. this. This is all like this yes. is all like how we work. You yes. know, this is like, wow. We like to know where the ship is going. Yes. You know, we like to have agency over what we do. Yes. Um, transparency is the yes. third piece. Mm -hmm. We like to know why was this decision made, or, you know, and again, so you'd spend a, we'd spend a lot of time in the executive team going, I think we need to make a change. Mm -hmm. That'd be ten percent of the discussion. Ninety percent is. Well, how do we get feedback and double check this and help people understand why we're making this change? Hmm. Like, like actually caring about how we communicate, whether we've got the right decision. And, hmm. and again, that is like a ship. When you're counting on people, yes. you know, you've got to, to hmm. show them why we're going in this direction or uh, whatever. And then finally, it's, it's the values and really making sure that the people on that journey all have some general agreement about how we're going to treat each other and how we're going to work. And we had created kind of a manifesto. Um, we called it of a lot of it was defining what our values are and putting that on the website for everybody to see so mm -hmm. that when you applied, you actually see, Oh, this is what this company is about. Mm -hmm. Things like productive paranoia, like that's what we want to have. And that's mm -hmm. how we're going to talk things like, Creativity, that's what we do. We want you to bring creative ideas and thoughts in your own way. Um, respect for each other. You know, some of those things that when we all do that and we police each other on that, then again, we're comfortable with, you know, you, you kind of pre, you, you, you have people that just, they don't, it doesn't take long to get in and fit in because yes. they've almost self-selected. You're pre-screening a little bit. Yeah. Exactly. And that's a lot of our interviews was, a little bit of can you do the job or do mm -hmm. we think you might be able to do the job and then mostly like do you have the values that match up with can you tolerate us and can we tolerate you <laughs> right yeah like, yeah it's like yeah. is this gonna work that, that one you know it's a story that I, I love to tell um real quick is i learned that from a client of ours the, the coolest marketing client i've ever had at my agency which is red bull and a buddy of mine um uh, 
worked at Red Bull and he told me that their interview process was basically you'd have five kind of peers interview a person and they would ask questions about do you fit with the character of Red Bull? They're, they have like eight, ten keywords. Things like mm. mystery. Mystery is one of the brand equity mm. you know, uh, elements of Red Bull. And so you would get questions to see if you have mystery as part of your personality. I don't know. Do I? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and if one of those five people said you're missing one of those eight or ten huh. uh, you know, elements, you're out. No matter how good your hmm. skills are, what school you went to, or, hmm. or what have you. And the way that that came into play, you know, he told me the, the story of you know, one of their leaders who was, uh, kind of came back, you know, he, he was reading some other, out of the, leading another country, he came back to lead North America. First thing he did is cancel the strategy meetings that they had. He said, we hired you because you know the brand. Just go do what you think is right. And so as a client, they didn't have an, our agency come and bring them ideas. It was like we were all talking ideas together. That's you know, cool. And so that, that mm-hmm. kind of element of just to hire the people that already have the, yes. some of the characteristics that you want. And that's to what's required in order to empower people to be at the top of the organization, right? Exactly. Like, otherwise, you line. actually yeah. feel like you need to be on top in order to just control everyone from you got scattering it. You away. Got it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that makes a ton of sense. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, Okay, I'm kind of curious because now I think we're shifting a little bit um, in lesson number eight. Now we're going to talk about more toward the end. Okay. Um, so you talk about, uh, first off, you talk about M&A, so mergers and acquisitions. is about uh-huh. hanging around the hoop um, and having focus and options, which sounds yeah. like a contradiction. So I'm kind yeah. of curious about that. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's good. Um, yeah, and so the, the process of starting to think about an exit really came as we were getting the product market fit, you know, we've got our process down, we're growing, we're profitable, we're doubling revenues. You know, I am a believer that you should always consider, you know, an exit as an, an option. And especially as a venture-backed company, you know, you're gonna have an ex- exit someday. Mm-hmm. And so let's not pretend that you know, it's gonna wait. And, and things don't, you know, the, things will just pop into your lap uh, very often, so you've got to think strategically about mm. how you're doing that. Um, you know, we similarly at our, our digital agency, you know, we kind of learned by talking with other people. You get to about 10 million in revenue. Here's the set group of holding companies that are going to look, and there's there's kind of a model there. And so in our space, um, <coughs> you know, I kind of put together a plan. And this is kind of what my job is that everybody mm-hmm. else is doing a great job running the business. All right, you know, yeah, I'm going to focus on people, but I've got to do something else. Yep. And kind of put a strategic plan together that was first just a lot of relationship building, and but targeted, focused relationship building. What so did that look like? Started off just saying, you know, in this area we were working in influencer marketing, digital media, CPG. You know, you, we created uh, kind of almost a a bullseye type model of here's the handful of companies that are the, would be the best fit for us mm-hmm. to, to be uh, acquired by. Yeah. And then there's almost like a second degree, sure. here's some that are somewhat fits, yeah. and then so here's the you, wild So you cards. identify a, com- a company, like, are you just cold outreach? Hey, can we hang out sometime? Like, what yeah. does that look like? Yes. Like through LinkedIn, or what did you do? Like, yeah, I mean, I kind of put, those, put those together and would go, uh, hey, this is Bob, you know, some intros, some, mm-hmm. some cold, um, Hey, it's Bob. We're running this business down here and we're you know, very open. Like, Hey, I'm running, you know, seven, $8 million a year business working with the same clients. We 
actually our salespeople even partner together on something, let's talk. And just let's talk. Yeah, so it's not, it'd be not good to get to know you, yeah. talk. I mean, again, you, you, um, some of them have like a corp dev person or a biz dev person that, that is the uh, center. The Others are more C-level people. people. Okay. Yeah. And so they, you know, sometimes you go, to, well, you should talk to so-and-so or so-and-so. Mm -hmm. Fine. And it really is like, a, you know, it's been said a hundred times, but it's like a dating process. Mm -hmm. And I was homeschooled, uh, so I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I got married uh, 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 and, and, and right out of college, so I'm saying. But uh, uh, you know, the the process is like it is a relationship, mm -hmm. and I, I, one of the things that you do too is have relationships with other players in the game. Mm -hmm. And one of the big players in the game is investment bankers. And in our industry, there's a kind of a niche group of technology uh, uh, investment bankers that work and negotiate these kind of deals on either side and I was able to use my network to say who are five or ten and start off like eight iBankers that I would just talk to that's their job is to build relationships Absolutely. so that you call them up when you get an offer and of the eight that you know I had a few calls and uh, use those conversations to say who's who knows who's offering me help who sounds like they kind of know this business who maybe made an intro and then I'd go back to them once a quarter and just check in and you get a ton of industry uh, advice. Yeah. Like the hang around the hoop came from uh, a guy named uh, Yale who's out in San Francisco, works with a lot of these things. He's like, you know what? You get profitable, you know, you guys are unprofitable. Like that's a thing everybody wants right now. Um, uh, the marketing tech ecosystem is, you know, kind of ups and downs, but really what you want to do is keep running your business, you know, be there for a rebound, you know, or a layup when when somebody's ready. Hmm. And so you didn't start a formal process with an investment banker. No, 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 no. This is all free networking advice. So you're just kind of hanging and, around, uh, talking to people. Yeah. And then was there a point? I don't know if we're talking about it later. Was there a yeah. point when suddenly an offer came in, or when all of a sudden you're like, yeah, maybe maybe we should be exclusive, start going steady as opposed <laughs> to just dating. Well, around. it was interesting. I mean, one thing that was helpful um, of that list of you know, call it four companies that were in our space, bigger, did not offer much of a competitive solution, if at all, and were actively making acquisitions. So mm -hmm. those are all the things that are good signs. Um, uh, one of them we, we did some partnerships with, uh, kind of almost bottom-up, salesperson mm -hmm. to salesperson, doing good things. But uh, it was the eventual acquirer quotient, somebody that I had met at a big industry conference. Mm -hmm. His job is to go and find companies like ours, you know, so it's nothing to be weird or ashamed of it's yeah. and uh we had a meeting you know kind of 2016 and he's just like okay get in on the radar we check in hmm. every six months and uh, uh the, we talked and he's like you know showing more you know showing we're interested you know he's kind of like very open in return which is such a great relationship thing hmm. of I'm interested in you guys, but we're doing another deal now so you're probably not going to hear from me for six months but then let's talk and hmm. then um but you know, you, you, sometimes the companies, the hang around the hoop is eventually they're going to need something. You know, whether it's in a strategic acquisition, it's uh, here's a piece of technology, here's a product mm -hmm. line. Uh, they need to fill gaps in the portfolio. Competitor is beating them in some area, and so you just want to be there so that they've got a strategy meeting, and they say, you know, these these meetings are happening, you know, right now, and they're you know someone pounds a the table and say, oh, we don't have anything in influencer marketing. 
Oh, no, we need to do Bob. something. Right, exactly. Oh, yeah. There's yes. that guy, Bob. You need we saw to do him that. at yeah. a thing. Oh, he seemed hmm. like a nice guy. Let me, okay, I'll call on him up. Hmm. And so, like, that's that's the game. And then, you know, uh, in terms of options, I think there's, there's two pieces that come in. One was because I had other relationships with other companies, when that phone call comes and it feels like it's getting serious, I was able to say, you know, hey, there's, hey, other companies, we might be getting serious with someone else. Are you interested? Yes. And so that gives you um, other options of, you know, ultimately you want to get some competition going in that kind Absolutely. of game. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we did get a competing offer and <clears throat> it wasn't a heavy back and forth, but it was like something where we, at least we're, you Keeps might. everyone honest kind of going. Yeah, through, I mean, yeah. you know, the, the, the competing offer can either give you truly like a bidding that, that gets your price up mm-hmm. or it can give you some confidence that this is right. You know, so just knowing for the board and everybody yes. else like, okay, we got one offer, but if we get another one and just yeah. know where it is. So um, that was helpful. But was also helpful on the options is not having to sell. Sure. And the because beauty of profit and the beauty that's of doubling. such a different thing. Yes. I mean, it was, you know, it was very, you know, stressful, like the whole process, yeah. but not in a stress of, oh my God, we're going to, yeah. we have to take this or we're going to yes. be dead. But there's a stress or, of ambiguity because you, when yeah. you think a year from now, you're like, I don't know what a year from now is, depending right. on, this, it's kind of a big fork in the road. Yeah. Um, how long was that process? And actually, and separately, did you end up hiring one of those bankers then to yes. run that process? Yeah. So we ended up, um, the process, like I think, you know, it was more like, let's see, <clears throat> Kind of things started getting real in January, uh, 2018, and then lots of, you know, due diligence light, mm-hmm. due diligence heavy, you know, just you know, multiple meetings of mm-hmm. flying out somewhere and spending a half a day and kind of going through, you know, here's the business and and the fun thing there again is you know one thing I think in the the classic playbook where people worry about people getting your data and finding out and competing, no one's competing. Like yeah. it's so hard to do anything at a big company, and even the folks that that you know were at our acquirer who were pretty close in our space, they didn't really get what we were doing. Like it's like they got their own businesses to run. Sure, they were just more of like, okay, I'm testing you, I'm seeing it, seeing if the numbers are real, and then yeah, if anything, they go, yeah, this is good. Of course, we can't do that. You know, we don't have time for that. We don't understand that space. They're already doing it. And we've got cash. Like, let's make it happen. I think you kind of. I think you often see what you're looking for on that thing. I, I think like if you don't, if you expect people to be, you know, trying to steal from you or something like that, you tend to find people who are like yeah, that. Yeah. But if you kind of like, no, I know that I'm helpful. Yeah. Like, I think generally being being open creates openness from yes. the other side too. Yes. Like, and that leads because that's all we want. It's not. It's 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 all about creating a bigger pie. And that was something too, where we could go in and say, well, we don't have to sell. We're profitable. We're doubling. Like we're on fire right now. Um, you know, the, no one's breathing down our necks for growth. Mm-hmm. And so, like, even as we were talking and things were getting more real, you know, uh, Ryan, our COO, and I, we were just like, okay, remember, they could totally come in and pull the rug out from under us. We don't have to sell. Like, just remember every day. You just We're remind okay. each other. Yeah, it's okay. that little voice. Yes. Yes. Remember, before we talk about this, we don't have to sell. Hmm. We don't need to sell. We'd be happy not to sell. And that just helps your mindset. Hmm. 
Um, using the investment banker, uh, you know, I went through that. That's a mini, you know, yeah. <laughs> decision to make there, yeah. and lots of opinions on all sides. But um, the the tipping point was really this is someone who I had built a relationship with, I had a lot of trust with. He offered the best of. I kind of picked the best of those mm-hmm. four that I was having conversations with, and uh, you know, it's it's it's. Hiring them kind of, you know, it's very, it is expensive. I mean, it's a chunk of money, but, you know, I think one thing is just like a real estate agent buying a house, like these are the experts. They know what they're doing. Their job is to represent you. They know those terms that are super important too. They know the things, like just having somebody you can chat with. And, you know, and and one of my my favorite people, you know, who's kind of been a, was a, a mentor for me in this whole process you know, he's full of these little sayings like, you know, companies are bought, not sold, you know, and you go, oh, yeah. And one of his, his sayings is, uh, pigs get fed, hogs get slaughtered. Yes. Meaning if you try to be too greedy, you know, that, that yes. kills you. And so that, there's a, let's sprinkle it around for everybody. Yes. You know, like let's get some of the investment banker because that's going to be smart. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that helps a mindset. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. So then talk about on the other side of that then. Uh, you said that earn out is a team effort. So reward yeah. the entire team in a meaningful way. Yeah, and so that, that's a great segue. Um, when we were negotiating, um, one of the things that part of our negotiation was we we're, you know, if you try to price this the way the business is today, we were running about a $10 million a year run rate. So if you apply a traditional model of pricing some uh, multiplier on revenue or EBITDA, sure. You know, that's not for a high growth business. And so we're sitting here saying, well, if you're trying to apply that formula, we're going to double next year. So it's almost smarter for us to just pause on a year and then you're going to write a bunch bigger check because there's nothing stopping us. We've got a great product. We'll hire some more salespeople. We're going to keep going. And so that led us into that share the pie. How do we win together? Give us some incentive for growing. You know, you could buy us now, but let's have some upside here that, you know, we're in. And again, that was similar to our agency sale. That was a five-year earnout. Okay. Um, how agencies are usually sold, you get like a very small piece up front, like ten percent, and then the ninety percent wow. is potential based on, um, in that case, it was revenue and profit goals over a mm. five-year period. Mm. In our case, um, kind of the, the target price was forty million dollars, twenty million up front, twenty million in a year and a half earnout based on sales growth targets. Mm. And, but with an extra 10 million possible upside if mm. we kind of exceeded. So it was kind of like if you're 50% higher than that, you can get up you know, 50% more on that 20. So, um, so that was like a really neat way to do it. You know, we had some things where you make sure we still get some control of the business, you know, because everything was running really well. You didn't change well. locations? No, no location. And you just, you know, we said like, look, we're, we're going to keep doing what we're doing. We're, we're not going to be obstinate, obviously, on some things. Use mm-hmm. your HR software and you know, have your computers or distribute, no, but at the same time, we're not going to change our pricing, we want to maintain mm-hmm. our brand, we got a good thing going, let's keep that going. And uh, um, But another thing we did, and, and this was kind of something that um, back at our agency, you know, when we had that long earnout, our executive team got together and we said, boy, we've got some amazing people out here, uh, how do we keep them engaged for this long haul? Mm-hmm. And we said, well, why don't we pick you know, a handful of the top leaders in the business and let's get them a, f- a piece of the action. You know, They weren't shareholders, it was just our group that was shareholders. 
And so we created kind of like a, a shadow equity pool somewhat. Mm -hmm. We pulled them in and we said like, hey, you guys are, you know, we want to lock you in too. Here's a plan. And, and we, so we carved off a piece of our earn out money for yeah. them. And that worked out incredibly well. Interestingly, another agency in town that I'm not going to share, some of our people went over there. They sold their agency and, and expanded that idea. Hmm. Uh, and they did very well and maxed hmm. out their earn out. Um, and so... For our business, um, looking at that, we said, we, an earnout is about like the people doing the work. Yeah. And so for, for us, for all the shareholders, the investors, it's in our interest to have this team that's running all cylinders to be fully motivated. Mm. And there's going to be stress. They're, the start, they're not going to be part of a startup anymore. And so um, let's get people locked in and motivated. Plus... Um, Although we'd offered um, options for all of our employees because of some of our down years and we had to, you know, the valuation went down. Mm -hmm. We had two times preferences. So most people's common equity was not going to be a lot. Yep. And, um, you know, there's a combination of the business, what is just smart for the business and what's good people stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm a big believer in the good people stuff. And I think that motivated me. But... Even if you're just a hardcore, caringless capitalist, yes. you go, oh, you know what? Let's offer some incentive for these employees. Turns out people work harder. To max this yes, thing out. Absolutely. And so in our discussions with Quotient, you know, I made that very clear of like, you know, we're looking for something there. And I said, okay, well, how about, you know, we'll put 10% of the earnout into a employee pool and you can... You know, you guys are leading, you can decide how to distribute that. Hmm. Now, what most people do is give it to the executives only. And hmm. it's like a, you know, a special executive carve-out. Sure. We said, we want everybody to get it. Hmm. And we took that and we said, okay, we had a couple of different layers, you know, based on kind of level in the company. But, hmm. like, but like, for our executive team, we all got the same thing. You know, um, for our next level managers, they all got the same thing. And... Uh, we, ha I mean, we, I got to have conversations with every single person and say, okay, we're, you know, we're selling the company, you know, now, and here's what we're doing for you. And if we hit this earn out, here's a number you're going to get. And, uh, you know, there was, there was tears that day of mm -hmm. while not, you know, like not we're selling the company cry, but like, oh my God, you're offering me this. Like, mm -hmm. these, and it ended up being, um, you know, the kind of money if we hit our target, mm -hmm. it was basically like a, a year's annual salary mm -hmm. for everybody. And uh, that was fairly incentivizing. It was. Yeah. And it felt really good. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, that that's the, like, everybody was together and seeing that and knowing that, you know, people paying off their student loans or buying a house or yeah. being able to get married a year early or you know, have a tr amazing trip that they've always wanted to do. That life impacts. Yeah. Real. And uh, so that, that was something that, you know, again, some of our investors were like, I've never seen anyone do that before. You know, that's unusual. It's like, well, we're doing it, you know? So, and no, none of them are complaining because we maxed it out. And, uh, you know, in fact, we maxed it out like three months before the deal was done. That's awesome. And then we did one more thing um, because we had people who started after the acquisition, we wanted to have something else uh, in incentive for everybody and, and spread it around. Instead so of steak knives. <laughs> a little better than that. Yeah. We said, like, uh, 
we had three different goals. We had like, what's something if we're in the money? What's something if we hit kind of the base goal? And what's something if we max it out? And so we had the, the first thing was a, a trip out to, uh, we went to the, the day before the Kentucky Derby. We had a big trip, you know, for That's a cool. day out there. Then we had a big party at Blink uh, last year, you know, took over a place um, on the banks. And then uh, we had teased this, that we, were, we would have a trip if we hit our max. Hmm. And so we took everybody to Cancun, second week, second weekend in March, like literally right before the world wow. went to hell. <laughs> we had uh, a couple people dropped out because it was starting to get a little sure. nervous, a, a few people, but uh, there were no travel restrictions or anything. And we just got it right under the wire. Wow. And it was the most amazing, you know, three days of party and fun. And, you know, that I, it was a life peak experience. I That's mean, just, fantastic. Just amazing. That's really cool. Even um, though you got COVID. <laughs> no, no, everybody was good. There were some hangovers involved, uh, some epic hangovers there, but it was, it was great. That's good. Um, talk about, I guess, on the downside, don't assume that big companies are better managed. In fact, sure. it's usually worse. <laughs> yeah. So there's the upside. Talk about the downside of that. Yeah, I mean, you know. Um, this is a learning for you. Yes, and I've been in big companies. So, again, starting at Procter & Gamble, mm-hmm. I was in a big bank, you know, first job out of school selling our agency we became part of a big holding company and uh you know it was another you know seeing up close and personal what a what a big company is like after being acquired and there is just something that you you forget that you know you think here's this big company it's you know amazing and boy they're strong enough to buy us and public and everything else and um you just kind of tend to assume that you're going to learn more they're going to have a better way of doing things and that's not necessarily the case. <laughs> and um, I think that, uh, you know, there, I think somewhat, the, a thing that I've learned, and I think it's, it's across the board is, you know, you've got companies become successful for some reason. They're all, every company starts as a startup, doing exactly what we've done of like clawing and grabbing and trying to get to something that people will buy and a repeatable process and product. And they become successful and then there's a, a tendency like it's then it just you're riding on your success like then that it's that you know whether it's inertia or entropy I forget which physics point but but you start bringing in people that did not build that business that are you know managers versus leaders and uh, but the product is still doing well it's chugging along clients want it they build it in but there can be kind of some deterioration mm-hmm. of of the company and I think it's really that's the thing that you have to fight. Um, but the large companies, most of them, whether it's IBM or you know Apple, whatever, you know, you can see that decline yeah, happen. Atrophying, yeah. Yeah, as people come in and they're, they, they, you, I think the thing that that we saw coming in was we just come off figuring out and learning things that a lot of people who have spent their jobs in large their careers in large companies they've never had to learn. Mm-hmm. You know, there were some things we do about the process piece we have a process for everything and these guys don't have a process like what and we try to share well hey what if we had a process and it would just go right you know over the head and you just kind of go well they just don't see that it's like you see you can see color and some people can only see in black and white but wait but that's blue and that's what what is this blue you speak of like what like and so again it's not evil but it's just not seeing that and that that can 
be kind of, you know, that is sad, I mean, in yes. many ways, because people aren't exposed to those things. But, but it ends up, you know, I think, leading to a lot of why do, why do most companies have to make acquisitions? Hmm. Because they don't have the people and the process and the, the spirit to innovate from within. Hmm. And, you know. Yeah, which is so interesting because you came from a fairly corporate environment. Do you think that you would have been as, would you have noticed that difference as much? Or was it that journey going through the startup journey that actually you, you changed? Um, well, I mean, I will say my, <laughs> I went to, to Proctor with more of an entrepreneurial mentality. Mm-hmm. Like I was working with startups when I was getting Why my MBA, okay, so this you know, this blood. is nineties, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. startup time. And, and I went to Proctor looking at, I'm going to be there for three or four years, mm-hmm. learn a lot and go follow in the path of Meg Whitman or Steve mm-hmm. Ballmer who, you know, um, Scott Cook, Steve Case, who came to Proctor for a couple of years, learned something, and then went off. Mm-hmm. And uh, the weird thing about my Proctor time, like I started in new products where it was kind of like startups within the mm-hmm. big company. And, you know, our job was we've got to create new $100 million a year categories to clean stuff that has never been cleaned before. Mm-hmm. And that led to some, some failures, like my first product, Fit Fruit and Vegetable Wash, which okay. is a... <laughs> natural soap for your produce no one wanted that it was ag laffley called it in his book the worst new product launch in procter and gamble's 180 year history have you put that on your linkedin yes (laughs) (laughs) it's a little easter egg for people but uh but i also got to launch uh mr clean magic eraser which was like one of the biggest successes with the the smallest budget five kids we use that thing exactly Yeah. yeah um yeah. So, you know, I think we, I was lucky enough to, to see some of the, the big company benefits of some leadership and some process and mm-hmm. promote from within, Yeah. but not come in thinking I'm going to stay there forever. Sure. Like, what can I get out of this? What can I learn? And being lucky enough to go into the new products area, yeah. you know, was, was helpful to get some of that perspective. That's great. That's really helpful to be able to see those two different worlds. Um, okay. So the kind of the final s- section of this, yeah. you had a couple of personal learnings. Uh, through mm-hmm. this process as well, because so, when we talked a lot on like the corporate culture, we talked a lot on the M and A and like that exit uh-huh. side, which I think is really helpful. Um, so uh, you had three kind of personal learnings. Uh, one was uh, if you're working past sixty hours or losing sleep, then it's time to seriously reconsider <laughs> your business and life. I'm sure this is purely academic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's something that you know that if it goes into, if you're not having fun, something's wrong. You've got to make different choices. And that could be, you know, I think there's a lot of time where I've worked 60 hours a week or more and I wish I could work more. You know, I loved it. Mm -hmm. Like having fun. The times when you're just grinding away on something is when you need to take a step. And grinding away can either be literal hours or losing sleep at night. Mm -hmm. And so. Did that ever happen with you? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, trying to sell, you know, it kind of goes into the days when we were trying to build this new market around Pinterest mm-hmm. tools. Uh, there was a lot of, you know, we made mistakes of raising too much money and like jumping into sell, sell, get a client, what's the, you know, pipeline when mm-hmm. we didn't have the product that was flying off the virtual shelves yet. You know, um, pushing water uphill, but not having honest conversations with ourselves or each other about yes. what are we doing here? You know, why are we taking all this money? Why are we, you know, so mm-hmm. <clears throat> I think learning to take that step back and go, look, 
almost the forcing function or earlier we were talking about the strategy of the strategy. Yes. Like let's do the stuff we like and spend time there. It doesn't mean be lazy. It doesn't mean anything's easy, but find the easier path, I guess. Hmm. And, and, and I think that, that kind of goes against the grain of some of the, the startup hustle, you know, porn that's talked about yes. a lot of, well, yeah, if it's failing, you just got to keep going. And yes. I'm sure you and have talked to a lot of startup founders that you're like, this thing's not working. How do I just tell him or her to stop? That's okay to stop. Like it's not, the answer is not. There's some real just power in getting hopeless right. in a direction because that means that there could be hope in another direction. Yeah. But you have to first get hopeless with this direction. Yeah. 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 And so if you can't get hopeless, then it's almost sealing your faith. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's interesting on the sleep side. Um, I've had trouble sleeping on and off really started in the startup world. Uh -huh, um, uh -huh. And my conclusion, which I've spent hours thinking about in the middle of the night, mostly from three to five, <laughs> um, uh, is I think often lack of sleep or you know insomnia is your subconscious mm. uh, reaching out saying please pay attention to these important things. Huh. Like you even said, we're not having honest conversations about it. Yeah, yeah. And so it's like it's almost like your subconscious takes over and just says, well, if you're not going to talk about if if, <laughs> if you're not going to talk about yeah, it in the daytime, I'm going to think about it at nighttime. Mm -hmm, um, and it's mm -hmm. like I'll take the night shift. Unresolved. Things. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's like normally if I see that happening, it means that something's I'm not walking in the right direction. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and that probably makes sense too. If, like if you're if you're working sixty hours and it feels like sixty hours, um, yeah, then you're probably not walking in the right direction. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and it maps back into kind of doing what you want. That like people who win typically are doing it. It doesn't feel like that sort of grind. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yeah, mm -hmm. hmm, that's really interesting. Did you um, in that sort of switch? Did you know that that at the time? Did you know that that was a warning sign, or did you think this is just what it is? Uh, I, a lot of personal conversations and debate, I'd say, yeah. you know, I never truly just bought into the, okay, I guess this is, I'm not hustling enough, you know, yeah. but, um, I, I think that it's either a blessing or a curse or sometimes one of each, but I'm almost constantly talking to myself about, <laughs> is this the right thing? Is this the, you know, kind of some, you know, but my, I'd almost say I have a mini midlife crisis every hour, you know, yeah. not, you know, so instead of letting it all bunch up at once mm -hmm. and then buying the sports car and, and whatever, it's like, let me just constantly analyze myself a little bit and mm. hopefully that leads to a better choice, I guess. Mm. How did that affect, uh, so your daughters were what, in junior high, late elementary school? Talk about oh. how that affected mm -hmm. them and how that affected your wife um, <laughs> as you're kind of doing that sort of process. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, for my kids, they don't see anything. I mean, they, they, uh, you know, again, I'm not, I, I, if I'm in town, you know, I'm always having dinner together, you know, as a family thing. Um, so you didn't feel like you bore that stress, you're not in a different world as you're no, at the dinner table? I mean, I think maybe, and you know, I, to the second part of this, my wife is my best friend and help, you know, me get through all of these mm -hmm. things. So talking to myself, but I'm also, she's on my executive team yes. <laughs> for that analogy and having her to sometimes just listen, sometimes kick me in the butt and go, you know, challenge, you know, hmm. my complaint or, or, you know, it could be a crazy idea that maybe it's too crazy or a frustration that, you know, I just need to get past. Um, uh, yeah. So she, yeah, that's, that's, that's a, a key to success there. She helped you process through oh, yeah. a lot of those yeah. things. Yes. Hmm. That's really good. But so, and then from a kid's standpoint, you don't feel like it affected your interactions with them? No, no, I don't think so. I mean, if anything, them seeing 
and dad's an entrepreneur. You know, like mm-hmm. there's a certain amount of, I think, um, I, I, I'm not going to claim credit for anything, but they're, they're going to be who they are. But I think there's something powerful to seeing me talk at the dinner table about, oh, I'm going to create another company. And, oh, look at this thing. And, you know, like that, hearing about the freedom and the options mm-hmm. and, um, you know, that kind of personal agency in your yes. career. So it hopefully helps them. Absolutely. Those, those yeah. And it's interesting that they're both going down careers that are in creative work, um, mm-hmm. artistic work that I'm not in. But um, I think that's something that, you know, maybe is rubbed off. Um, mm-hmm. They both went to Montessori schools. So like, I think that again is an environment that encourages exploring mm-hmm. your passions. And um, I think they maybe don't pay a lot of attention to dad and <laughs> but seeing me express my enjoyment and my work mm-hmm. and the people I work with, I think is probably rubbed off in some good ways. A lot of people think that you have to do a startup before you have kids. Uh-huh. Um, hmm. and because they say, you know, once you're settled down, you have a wife, you have kids, you have responsibilities, then you really shouldn't take big risks like that or maybe you know, it's time to, um, and you didn't do that. Um, yeah. Um, or maybe you just never stopped doing startups. It just seems like it's been good. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely, you know, some elements that this worked for me. One was just, again, a little bit of a personal uh, strategy is like, I, I wanted to go get experience before I felt confident enough to make the leap. And so, like I said, you know, coming out of business school, my friends and the cool thing to do was move out to San Francisco and join one of the, the dot coms that were gearing mm. up. Going to Procter & Gamble was the anti-cool move, mm. you know, but I looked at the career as a long-term path and said, well, wow, I can learn a lot of things here. This is really going to help me advance. The first um, joining my friends at this agency was a way of jumping to something entrepreneurial, but it was not a startup. It was mm-hmm. a business that had been around that we re- refocused it and it's an agency. So it's not like you're inventing a business model. Um, but that jump <clears throat> gave me some more skills and entrepreneurial confidence and then got an exit. So it allowed me to put some money in the bank and to have the freedom to take more risks while still, you know, covering college future needs and, and yes. household spending and things like that. So, mm-hmm. I think the ideal is watching your burn rate um, so that you can take risks. But I think that I would, you know, advise other people later in their career to go for it because you just you've got different ex- new experiences and confidence, and you know, um, that you've you've learned a lot along the way that you can apply. It's a different arc. Uh, it's mm-hmm. it sounds it's a more of a crescendo hmm. um, as opposed to I think that a lot of people view especially. I, as I talk to folks in their mid twenties, I think a lot of people see I expect a big pop, swing of like just grand slam swing hmm. at twenty five. Yeah. And either I make it or I strike out, and then I'll do it. Uh, do this crescendo thing. Yeah. And it, yeah. I, it sounds like, but the problem with that is that often you're starting your crescendo at thirty instead of at twenty. Right. Yeah. I, 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 something I'm a big believer in too is that if I was coming out of college now in the same way, I probably would not honestly go to a Procter & Gamble. Mm-hmm. I'd go work at a startup mm-hmm. as a one of the early employees because you learn so much. I mean, everybody that could take the journey with Ology, they're learning because of the transparency, because of we've got to figure out what to do with this. Like they're all kind of founders mm-hmm. and learning that along the way while making a salary and having some job security. Uh, you know, they learn a lot of things by being a part of it, seeing me, seeing our team make decisions, 
going through an exit. Like these are all free, you know, it's paid front, education. It's it's you're being paid to learn. Yes. But then you can have the confidence to go, wow, I've gotten to see it. I've done it without risking everything. And mm-hmm. I hope a lot of them go start something someday uh, coming out of this. That's great. Yeah, that goes into your, uh, you said that you feel like uh, you have a calling and that calling is to be a CEO and entrepreneur. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Um, the concept of a calling is uh, something that, you know, many people talk about. I think that there's, um, it's that, that idea. And, and I think even going back to a career progression, I've always felt like the, the job you're trying to do, especially early on, is discover what is your passion. And not like, you know, like, it, it, passion I think is, is maybe overused, but the mm-hmm. calling. Mm-hmm. What are you really good at and what do you love doing? And starting off in a place, it almost doesn't matter where you start work, as long as you're learning and getting some exposure to that and, and testing yourself in that. And so I think every time someone makes a career jump, it should never be about money. You know, uh, it should never be about title. It's about, am I going to do something that's closer to my calling? And whether I know it is or I'm going to learn, exp- expose myself to something that might be. Hmm. Uh, in many cases, that might be worth taking a salary decrease yes. or working at a more risky company. You know, like that's that's not talked about a lot. But um, for um, for me, that that calling kind of hit as I had to take over as CEO and be the guy. You know, I had not. That was the first time I was the CEO of a before, company. Right. You know, ironically, um, but it was the weird thing was. It was literally a moment of like the light shine down again and go like, I love this job. Like even when we were, we were in the lowest shit, like we were in so much trouble. Like I said, plant like this close to going to five employees. Hmm. What do we do? Do we sell this for parts? Like, you know, everything was on the table and I was smiling like, like, because I I think it goes into, I just would rather spend a hundred percent of my time thinking about what should we do? guys versus hey boss what do you want to do mm-hmm. and I, you know i can't I, like that just i would you know something i, I think about is almost the analogy or, or the story would be i would so much rather live with my own dumb mistakes you know than live with someone else's dumb mistakes yes. like if i have to okay you decided and now i have to execute i'm just not going to do that and so um, having your own butt on the line, being responsible, uh, you know, barely a little bit of decision making that you have to come up with. Mm-hmm. Um, but like that, that was key. Ironically, when I, when I stepped over, it brought me back to my time being a brand manager at Procter and Gamble, mm-hmm. ironically, which, you know, that's where I, where was the, the only time before where I felt like I was the leader. You know, I am the brand manager on Mr. Clean, my butt's on the line. And I had, you know, managers, but they were off working on Swiffer or working yeah. on something bigger. They were just like, Bob, you're on this little Mr. Clean thing. Do what you want to do. Yeah. You know, here's some advice. You know, they were almost like investors. And mm-hmm. and uh, I loved it. You thrive with that. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, so that, that that's something I have to do. And that's, that's why I ultimately that. had to yes. leave yes. <laughs> the company that acquired us and, and go keep that calling going. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious. Um I guess as a transition point, actually, I'm kind of curious. So what does that mean for this next phase for you? Um, yeah. what, what is that next thing? And if that calling is going to con- continue on? 
It's continuing. So, yeah. Yeah, what is so it, what's the continuation? You tell us about it. Yeah, so um, who knows where we'll be when, uh, when this airs, sure. but, uh, you know, um, uh, our COO from the Ahology Journey, Ryan Watson, who he came in uh, to Ahology after his a startup that he was CEO of called Squirrel, mm -hmm. if you may remember, it went through the brandery a few years that, yeah. ago, so it was kind of an accounting SaaS. Mm -hmm. um, they hit a product market fit wall, and he joined us um, as our CFO coming out of Squirrel, and then became our COO as well, and just, you know, amazing, I mean, amazing guy. Back and forth with him. Uh, he helped me with, uh, I think, equity instead of plans. Okay, yeah, okay. We, we, we emailed back and forth a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's and he's kind of on the side, helps a ton of companies Super in town. It's yeah. such a, a skill that's missing is this, like, startup CFO. Oh, you my know. gosh. It's huge. <laughs> But uh, so you know, we were kind of into the into the our earnout almost a couple of months in. We said, okay, we're pretty confident we're going to max this thing out because we had a product that was winning, and we had a with a seven person sales team, and all of a sudden we were part of about a hundred and thirty person sales team that was talking to every client. You know, had meetings weekly, mm -hmm. and we were the hot, sexy product. You know, they were bringing us in left yeah. and right. So it's like, these guys are really going to help us scale this thing. And, uh, but meanwhile, we also were like already not liking being employees. Mm -hmm. You know, we wanted to, to, to go back to that magic. Sure. So we, we kind of, you know, there's an uncomfortable like, hey, I want to start something again. You want to start something again? Yeah. Well, you want to do it together? Yeah. Okay. Well, you kind of like this thing or you yeah. do this and I do this. Yeah. And, and it led to just starting to spend some time, you know, probably going back a year, uh, of just like one day a week, get together in the morning and spitball ideas. Yeah. And did the classic like Google spreadsheet, you know, yep. create a Slack channel and like, what about this idea? What about this idea? Yep. And, you know, went in some ways, you know, did a little research and time and talk and uh, uh, in our spare time. And But eventually we just kept coming back to our passion, which was around building great teams. Hmm. And... Uh, you know, thinking about that's what we loved at the end of the day. In, in our team at Ahology, yeah, we were doing influencer marketing software. We could have done anything. Mm -hmm. Like, we, it doesn't matter. Any industry, anything. Because we had built such that, that great team. And, yes. and seeing, you know, then being a part of a large company, we could see here's a team that has opportunities for improvement. Sure. Which is really what big companies are. It's sure. hard for them to figure that out. Oh my God. So well, we kind of were having cultural a cultural shift. There's generational shift that's happening. There's a lot that's going on. Different yeah. offices. I mean, yeah. different acquisitions coming in. You know, uh, uh, but like that's a lot of companies. Like they they have ups and downs and, and some struggles. And thinking, wow, let's learn how this company does it and how other big companies do it. And what's something that we could what's a business that we could create that could help other businesses build better teams. Hmm. And so that again, kind of led our thinking down a certain path and uh, we're working on something right now, which is kind of taking another just huge key to success in team building, which is tapping each other's networks. Hmm. And so think of networks, not as LinkedIn, like this would be almost the anti LinkedIn. LinkedIn had a lot of promise. Hey, join it, connect with people, help each other, succeed make intros mm -hmm. everything on linkedin from my experience is now it's everybody joins worst. everybody yes yeah it, it, it's it's a non-network mm -hmm. um and they're selling our names for spam they're trying to force us you know purposely go through more 
clicks to get what we need so they can give us more ad impressions. Mm -hmm. uh, and so there's got to be, you know, the, the idea of your reputation network is kind of the closest we've, we've come to defining this, where that short list of the people that you know well and you like working with. Hmm. And it could be something that someone you'd recommend for a job, someone that, you know, you're trying to make a connection and they'll make that because you have that shared blood, yes. you know, and you want to help each other. The strength and, of that relationship. Yeah, and even if someone asked you to make the connection, you wouldn't just ignore them. You would go, here's why I can't, I, and I know this person, <laughs> but here's why I'm not comfortable I making that. Or you I know, like, speak on behalf of them that this yeah, is not what they and want. Like this right. is the idea of reputation goes back to how humanity was formed in small yes. villages. Why we're alive. alive. Yes, exactly. 150 people. You got to cooperate. We are a cooperative social creature. Hmm. And now we're in this giant world where we work with people and sell to people all over the, the planet, 7 billion hmm. folks. Remote work, you know, working from home. Trust is more needed than ever. You know, some people say it's like a warm intro world now. Mm -hmm. How do we make that easier? You know, how do we make it easier to connect Gosh. those true networks, but also bring people into our networks? Yes. And so um, we're, 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 again, trying to learn from our previous experiences where yeah. we, you know, scaled way too fast, mm. doing some interesting experiments with, um, you know, some companies in town. Mm. Uh, you know, some friends that, that we can, we're experimenting with what would that future network look mm. like? You know, how do we manage it? How would you build it? What would be a better way of, of getting some reputation type data and, and sharing people in, with people information about looking at themselves and looking at their own reputation mm. and looking at the networks they have and, hey, how can we get people to improve the diversity of the people that they work with? Um, one of the things I'm, I'm, that you get to do when you're starting from scratch and sitting at home, you know, uh, in COVID is you get to do a lot of reading and there's some amazing research on the social networks, not Facebook, yes. but like the humanity, like yes. how our brains process relationships and how many relationships we can have at once, how relationships evolve, um, how networks evolve. Hmm. You know, one of the things that, um, just go on a slight tangent is, uh, you can look at how some people tend to connect to multiple network groups and it's, they're called brokers or they mm -hmm. have a high brokerage score. Yes. Uh, those people, almost the opposite of the, the social uh, bubble that we hear mm -hmm. about now with the election going on and things that you know, people who are Facebook is trapped people in their social bubble. So all they yes. hear from is the small group, all they see is the news, and that leads to a lot of negative things like conspiracy theories. And yes. um, But think of the opposite of that is people who are connected and interacting with lots of different people. The science shows that people with high brokerage make more money, get promoted faster, have higher peer ratings. Hmm. The reason, they learn to work well with lots of different types of people. That makes sense. By being exposed to more people and more ideas, you become a better person. It's almost relational resilience. Yeah. Right? It's that yeah. I, I can go into a lot of diverse situations and yeah. adjust. And yes. isn't that what diversity is? Like, yes. we don't need diversity. Like, it's kind of, and we have data now of people who have more diverse people and work with more diverse people, make mm -hmm. more money, those companies do better. The data's out there. Can we start exposing people to their own data? Can mm -hmm. we show them, here's where your networks are strong or weak. Here's mm -hmm. the people in your network that are more connected to 
diverse people. Mm -hmm. And maybe, you know, where you start spending your time based on how you can get exposed to different ideas and different types of people to be selfish, not yes. to be nice and, oh, I guess I should, you know, sure. hire more diverse people. Like, no, no, this goes back to the point. It's, it's capitalist, you know, it's just smart business. Yes. It's actually, a, it's a strategy uh, for success mm -hmm. as opposed to uh, broccoli, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. you yeah. gotta eat your broccoli. You don't want that. <laughs> yeah. No, oh, that's really, that's great. So uh, it's probably, it's early now. Sure. We could go in lots of different directions, you know, um, but it's, it's, we're exploring and, you know, we've got uh, some help from you know, some developer friends who are, you know, donating some night and weekends with us. And that's great. And, uh, you know, it's fun to just kind of all to be, not in a rush, not, we got to go raise a billion dollars. Mm -hmm. We got to prove ourselves. It's like, let's, you know, this is not something that's going to be a race, you know, a sprint. And, uh, you're actually uh, trying to be intellectually honest too, because you don't, you know how yeah. long this is going to be. So if you can kill it now, <laughs> it's much better yeah. than trying to yeah, jump in. What's funny, like, you know, as you talk to some people and, um, uh, they go, well, the, the, the path is littered with a bunch of companies that have tried to do something. Mm -hmm. It's like, Great. We just had to figure out how to do, a, you know, make a lot of experiments and sure. cheaply and easily, and not just put the blinders on and go. Which is again a learning that we're able to correct this time based on our uh, past uh, mistakes. Sure. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting because it seems like the the dream of this new business. Do you have a name for the new business? It's called Hardy. Hardy. Yeah. So oh. it's kind of um, we came up with it from the the inspired by the pirate phrase, ahoy me hearties. Hmm. And which is like just a word for us. It's the, there's certain analogies to being on a ship and I probably used it five times tonight of, of how you, you count on each other and you're going on this voyage and it's a small band of comrades, but there's also the heart. And hmm. I think that's the, the thing that, you know, at this point in my career, it, it's, I'm, I love most is the people that I'm working with mm -hmm. and, and that peak experience that we had at Ahology, uh, <laughs> dancing on the beach of Cancun. Um, how could we help thousands of other companies have those experiences, you know, yes. and, and see that, that heart that you can have from work. Yes. I mean, that's the dream. And that's, that was your last lesson, which is it's possible to truly love your coworkers and cry together when the band breaks up. Yeah. And cry together out of out of excitement and pleasure on the good things, but yeah. also like, you know, there's been some teary <laughs> teary times. I almost you almost got me a couple times yeah. here tonight. Hopefully, uh, not not too yeah. visible, but uh, yeah, yeah, it's pretty pretty amazing. But the idea of like you experienced that and that was meaningful for you. It changed it changed your perspective, and now you're hoping to actually share that with other people. Yeah, I mean, and the the magic of loving what you do, loving who you work with every day. The, we work so many hours, you know, and on the other end, like seeing the sadness or the misery of so many other companies that can't feel that they don't see it. It's not, you know, it's the, it's the black and white versus color. If you could just have them experience that we could make, you know, it, it could do it a hundred X better world. I mean, honestly, yes. if that is the mindset. And so, how can we teach? How can we share? How can we create some systems that start, you know, spreading that? Yes, somehow. you're literally changing the majority of people's waking life. Um, That's the crazy goal. Yes. And why not? Why not try? You know, Absolutely. there's an infinite number of things we could do. Um, this could fall flat 
and we'll pick ourselves up and try something else again. You know, why not? That's great. Bob, this has been a pleasure. This Thanks. Is really, really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, much for me. We'll Cathartic. Yes, absolutely. We'll bump in All right. Side, so, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Blake. That's great. Cool. Hey, I hope you liked that video. If so, maybe watch another right here. Why not? Also, uh, make sure to hit subscribe down below. Thanks for watching.